Were you there? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there, you people who followed Jesus? Were you there, the people whom he loved, whom he healed, and whom he served? Most importantly, oh God, were you there when they crucified my Jesus? This is the stark terror of the story of Jesus on the cross. It is the quiet fear and overwhelming suspicion that perhaps, just perhaps, God has gone away. Or even worse, that God was never there to begin with. Oh, it makes us tremble indeed to hear Jesus cry, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Good Friday brings us face to face with that which perhaps we fear most. Abandonment, utter aloneness, absolutely. And so we don't like it. We don't like it one bit. Perhaps it's not such a surprise then that on most Good Fridays, the worship crowds are typically but a small fraction of the Easter throngs. And yet this year is different. This year is different because of our current state of extreme physical distancing brought on by a global scourge of disease. We can't completely escape the sense of forced solitude and even abandonment. If most years we prefer to be Easter people, this year we are all uniquely Good Friday people. Of course, in a certain sense it is fair to say that we are always Good Friday people. What usually repulses us about the story of Jesus' arrest and trial and execution is how much of ourselves we see in the stories of all of those who abandoned Jesus in an earthly way. When we hear of the disciples fleeing from the garden upon Jesus' arrest, we imagine our own similar reaction. We admit that we too probably would run in fear for our lives. We can understand Peter's self-serving instinct that causes him to deny knowing Jesus. We know the ease with which we can begin to follow the crowd, perhaps even succumbing to hateful groupthink that does harm verbally, physically, and socially. We all too easily recognize how religious and political powers continue to be yielded in harmful and death-dealing ways. And so each year, as dutifully guilty Good Friday Christians, we admit our similar instincts and pray for humility and forgiveness. We will do that again today, and that is as it should be. And yet this year, in the strange times in which we are living, I wonder if our hearts are also prepared 
for a different sort of Good Friday experience. Perhaps we are ready for the type of Good Friday experience that elicits a hefty dose of empathy for those who turned away from Jesus, and perhaps even a little bit of sympathy for ourselves. This year we are all Good Friday people because we are united by the profound sense of abandonment and loneliness that permeates every bit of the passion story. What we often fail to notice is that the sense of abandonment so boldly proclaimed by Jesus is most likely shared by others in the story. It is always a dangerous business trying to determine people's motives, but today let us imagine that these moments of turning away from or even turning against Jesus are rooted in the fundamental fear of being abandoned and left alone by others and by God. It really doesn't take much imagination to believe that Jesus' closest followers may have feared such abandonment. Whether they expected Jesus to mount a political revolution, to overthrow Roman rule and bring sovereignty back to Israel, or whether they caught a glimpse of Jesus' vision of a universal revolution of love, undoubtedly each and every one of them believed that the project Jesus started was over when he was arrested and sentenced to death. The flight of his followers and Peter's denial aren't simply rooted in some human flaw of the human condition, such as cowardice or betrayal. Rather, they are the actions of persons desperately grasping for safety and a sense of control in a situation where it suddenly seems they are utterly alone. They are separated from Jesus, the one whom they have devoted their lives their community of support has been scattered, and they wonder where God must be if all of this is happening. And when Jesus breathes his last breath on the cross, it must seem as if they too have been forsaken by God. In many ways, to turn from God in moments like these seems the more rational choice. In fact, one of the most common reasons given by those who do not or cannot believe in God is the seeming absence of God. If God is real and present, they say, then why is there so much pain and suffering and death and hatred in my life and in the world? If this is what God has to offer us, isn't it better just to go our own way and assume responsibility for any semblance of a thriving life? In a certain sense, abandoning God is the result of God's seeming to have first abandoned us. And yet, there is another way. A way that Jesus demonstrates for his followers and ultimately for the world as he sees his mission of love of God and neighbor all the way through to the end, even when it costs him his life. And it is here that it is most important for us to remember what the church has traditionally taught about Jesus' very nature. That Jesus was fully divine and fully human. It was actually a point of great discussion among the early Christians as to whether Jesus could have possibly been fully human. 
They said if Jesus was God, then to be humiliated and tortured and killed on a cross just didn't seem possible. And most impossible of all was for the almighty God to feel pain. The argument was that Jesus only appeared to be human, but was actually fully divine. And yet eventually the Christian tradition came to claim that Jesus was indeed also fully human. In his betrayal, his mockery, his shame, and his execution, Jesus, the human one, experiences every bit of the devastation of being forgotten, abandoned, and injured. Every step of the way, it must have been so tempting to run away or to flee or to take control of the situation. And if anyone could have taken control of the situation, surely it was the human one who was also fully divine. This is the very reason that he faces the mocking taunts to save himself, to take a new tact, to use his power to deny, to flee, to overcome. And yet he quietly perseveres, trusting that God's love always has the final say. And yet as the human one hangs upon the cross, as his body begins to fail, as the pain becomes overwhelming, and as he senses his utter aloneness, he cries out to God. While he does not abandon the God that forms the core of his very being, he also cries out to God and unabashedly claims his experience of having lost everything in this moment, he is faithfully forsaken. He feels the full force of the horrors of his death, and he lets God know that this is not how it should be. Yet he remains faithful to God until the end. Now, although their ultimate responses are much different, the fleeing disciples and Jesus share a common lament. They are mourning what could have been perhaps even what should have been. And this is the same lament that binds so many of, of us today to the experience of forsakenness. Much of our living right now is conducted in the shadow of what could have been or should have been. In the past few weeks, I have witnessed firsthand the disappointment of students who have lost their senior years in high school and college or graduate school, even losing out on graduation ceremonies that mark their achievements. I've counseled couples whose wedding plans have been upended. I've heard the stories of lost jobs and financial struggle. I've watched as public servants and healthcare workers have been stretched to their capacity, risking their own health for the well-being of others. I have seen the systemic realities of health disparities that cause certain persons to bear an outsized share of the despair due to their racial or socioeconomic status. I have received prayer requests for people battling illness, and I have mourned the loss of life that has devastated so many. 
I have literally heard people utter the Good Friday refrain, why God? Why me? Why us? Why this? Why now? This is a day to affirm such cries. When we face head on the traumas of our current time, when we cry out our disappointments and our struggles and our sorrows to God in these days, it does not mean we have abandoned God or that God has abandoned us. Rather, it is to follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ who taught us that faithfulness often means mourning what should have been, yet facing what is, even when all seems lost. When we do so, not only do we follow Jesus, but we follow and join the countless saints who have lived through times of feeling faithfully forsaken. In fact, many of the greatest spiritual leaders and teachers and mystics of the Christian faith have lived through periods where they felt utterly abandoned by God. It's even been given a name, the dark night of the soul. It would seem that there is no path to faithfulness that does not pass through the experience of forsakenness. German theologian Jürgen Moltmann writes, Christ isn't merely a person. He is a road too, and the person who believes him takes the same road he took. But if this road seems too hard to bear, especially this year, pay attention to the small glimmers of hope that still remain in our lives and even in this story. In moments where shame and fear and doubt and anguish almost become too unbearable and you are tempted to turn from what it is what is to grasp desperately at what should be or could have been remember the witness of Mary Magdalene and of Mary the mother of James and the many other women who follow Jesus they are true students of the human one They stay and watch. They mourn and cry. They remain present in whatever way they can. They remind us that Jesus is not wholly forsaken by those who love him, and neither are we ever fully forsaken. There are always companions on this journey. And as we will see in the coming days, these faithful women will be the first to discover and proclaim what new hopes await on the other side of forsakenness. Another glimmer of hope is found in Christ's very cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For as dire as those words may sound, they are borrowed from the 22nd Psalm a psalm that begins with a cry of hopeless abandonment but goes on to declare the many times that God has been faithful in the past and it declares that God will indeed be faithful again to those in need. Jesus draws on this tradition of the psalms that teaches us that lament 
is also a pathway to rediscovering God's presence, even in the midst of turmoil. And in those final moments of his earthly life, God is still there with Jesus on the cross. This year, it seems the whole world has been thrust into a dark night of the soul. But when it seems that way, cry out to God and remember that you are never truly alone or fully forsaken. Rather, even in the worst of times, you are only faithfully forsaken, precisely because God is always faithful to us and to you. While this does not mean things will always be as they could be or even should be, your cries proclaim a bold trust that God is still present, working with what is to bring about what will be, bringing light out of shadows, bringing life out of death. Were you there, good people, when they crucified my Lord? Were you there, O oh God, when they crucified my Jesus? Are you there now, O oh God? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani.